Oh, hey guys, it's me, Sheila Gunn-Reed. I'm filling in today again for the big boss, Ezra Levant. Today we're talking about Justin Trudeau's gun grab and how they won't tell us who exactly they talked to before they turned the single largest comprehensive firearms prohibition in this country, the handgun ban, into the next single largest comprehensive firearms ban in this country, the hunting gun ban. They won't tell us who they're talking to. And that's because you know they were talking to the crazy people. And then after that, Tracy Wilson from the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights joins us to talk about, of course, Justin Trudeau's single largest gun ban in Canadian history. Now, if you like listening to the show, then I promise you're going to love watching it. But in order to watch early and ad-free, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to join today. And then I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things for me. Wherever you're listening to us right now, please leave a five-star review that pushes us higher up on the algorithm in the podcast platform. People can see us if we're ranked. So it gets more rebel fans and viewers and supporters. And I think that's a good thing in the world, but also a good thing would be for us to beat CBC in the podcast rankings. And they just have so much of your money to create content that you just don't care about. So wouldn't it be great if the company you do care about was able to beat them? Thanks and enjoy the show. Just who exactly were the Trudeau liberals talking to before they decided to ban basically all the hunting rifles in Canada? It's January 6th, 2023. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, but you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. you do uh, when provinces like in Alberta and Saskatchewan, as they've signaled, say they're not going to enforce your gun laws? It, it's not that they're going to direct police, but they're going to tell prosecutors, don't go after people um, with these banned weapons, to at least send a message to people that this is not a priority for their provinces. What, what will be your response? Um, I'm not going to engage into hypotheticals. Well, it's not will... hypothetical. Well, they've they've it, said it. Sort of, they've, they've said, said that it. they might do it, yes. Yeah. But the reality is, Canadians are overwhelmingly uh, worried about gun violence, want to see stronger gun control. We have mandate, we have a mandate to do exactly that, and that's what we've done. We banned assault-style weapons, uh, we've frozen the market on handguns, yeah. and now we're ensuring that there is a definition going forward so assault-style weapons remain banned. Now, there's been a lot of uh, misinformation and disinformation around it, and I'll be entirely honest. There are some guns out there not many, but some, that hunters are now using for hunting that are overpowered or have characteristics that make them assault-style weapons, and the definition will probably catch those. And there are some people who hunt with a gun that is that is considered an assault-style weapon who will have to change weapons on that and will have a buyback for that weapon because they're not criminals. But we are changing the definition to make sure that guns designed to kill the largest number of people as quickly as possible have no place in this country. Did you screw up the legislation, though? No. We continue to move or continue well, to Well, I think everyone, you've been, you've been very criticized by 
everybody under the sun, the NDP, First Nations, Conservatives, other yeah. groups. So that indicates to me that it's not right the way it is it now. It indicates to me that it's a hard thing to do to move forward on gun control in a country where uh, the, the gun lobby uh, holds a lot of sway in a lot of places. The Conservative Party is moving far hard and uh, they have successfully weaponized a pitting of ur urban Canadians against rural Canadians. But that's not our focus. Our focus is on making sure uh, that the guns that have no place in Canada because they're assault-style weapons mm -hmm. are continued to be banned. But Conservatives have been very, very clear on it. They want to reverse our ban on assault-style weapons. Yeah. I think most Canadians yeah. actually are in line with uh, wanting to make sure that assault-style weapons I, I, stay I think banned. it's interesting that you think the Conservatives are pitting people against each other because they would say the same about you, and particularly that you are, as, as they may be, also entrenching division between rural and urban voters. Trudeau seems to be rolling from one authoritarian reflex to the next, isn't he? He started off hot in 2022 with the lockdown of Canadians and the snatching of our civil liberties, including those to travel and associate during his pandemic measures. Trudeau tracked where we went and who we were with using data provided to the Public Health Agency of Canada, data that was stolen from us by our own cell phone providers. Trudeau made mandatory a vaccination that people didn't want and incidentally doesn't work just for people to be able to go to work. Trudeau then stood on the graves of people murdered by a madman with an illegal cache of weapons in Nova Scotia to systematically ban the lawfully acquired firearms of law-abiding Canadians with his 1500 model gun ban in May 2020. And then, of course, there was the invocation of the wartime law, the Emergencies Act, in early 2022. He used it to end the peaceful anti-regime protest taking place in the nation's capital. Trudeau suspended the civil liberties of all Canadians to protest. He seized the bank accounts of protest organizers and their supporters, and then he arrested the leadership. Their relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades and report to the RCMP or CSIS. As of today, a bank or other financial service provider will be able to immediately freeze or suspend an account without a court order. In doing so, they will be protected against civil liability for actions taken in good faith. Federal government institutions will have a new broad authority to share relevant information with banks and other financial service providers. And building on that authoritarian reflex, Trudeau decided to bring in even more firearms legislation, banning the sale and transfer of handguns, which are the most regulated form of firearm in this country. I'm proud to announce that our government has decided to ban the importation of handguns. Through a regulatory mechanism enacted by my colleague, Minister Jolie, nearly all individuals and businesses in Canada will be banned from importing handguns on a go-forward. Given that nearly all our handguns are imported, this means that we're bringing our national handgun freeze into effect even sooner. Now, the measures will take effect on August 19, as I understand it, and Minister Jolie will have more to say. People like me have to hold a special license and submit to special screening and can only use that firearm in a designated pre-approved location. All this, Trudeau said, would stop crime in downtown Toronto committed by gangsters using illegally trafficked guns. And then 
In the last minute, an amendment was proposed by Liberal MP Paul Chiang to that handgun ban, C-21, that made it a ban on hunting and our hunting heritage in this country. The Liberals snuck in an amendment to C-21 that bans semi-automatic centerfire rifles and shotguns capable of holding a five-round magazine. It ostensibly outlaws millions of rifles and shotguns used for hunting in this country. A man who was convicted of second-degree murder had been released early and is now re-arrested for uh, 51 counts of trafficking firearms. Why won't they go after this criminal and others like him instead of targeting Grandpa Joe's hunting rifle in Cape Breton? The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Canadians are united around the need to see our communities safer and most Canadians understand that that means eliminating the guns that are most dangerous. Those guns are designed to kill the largest number of people uh, in the shortest amount of time. That's why two years ago we moved forward with a ban on assault style weapons but we also know uh, that we need to ensure that that ban stays in place and that's why we're moving forward with a definition to define assault style weapons. And if you, like me, looked in your gun cabinet and said, hold up here. He said it wasn't a hunting ban, but my hunting guns are banned. Trudeau accused you of misinformation. Take a look. Um, gun control uh, in French asking if we were going to uh, revoke or pull back at C21. The answer is no. C21 is part of our commitment to Canadians uh, to move forward on strengthening gun control in smart, responsible ways. We have frozen the market on handguns. It's now impossible to buy or sell a handgun in this country. Uh, we've uh, moved forward on a ban on assault-style weapons that's been in place for two years, and we're making sure with C21 that uh, assault weapons will never be legal again in this country. The issue that's come up for a lot of people, and I suspect Eric who sent in the question, is that there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation from the Conservative Party and from the gun lobby about us going after uh, hunting rifles and shotguns. The reality is we're focused on banning the most dangerous weapons, those assault-style weapons that were designed to kill the largest number of people as quickly and efficiently as possible. But was it misinformation? It isn't, if you ask the experts. Here's the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, Tracy Wilson, discussing the single largest gun ban in Canadian history, the hunting gun ban, which happened, again, at the last minute in an amendment to the previous single largest gun ban in Canadian history, the handgun ban. Look at this. Over the last seven years, crime and violence has skyrocketed under the Liberal NDP government, all while the Liberals increased gun control, all licensed gun owners, and while they were at it, made life the easiest it's ever been on criminals. The Liberals have rolled out three gun bans in three years, while gang-related homicide has shot up 92%, basically doubled, along with a 32% rise in violent crime, all since the Liberals took office. Those same non-gun-owning Canadians need to ask what in the world is going on. The Liberals spent the first three years of their majority government pontificating about how government has no business classifying firearms and that it should be left to the experts at the RCMP lab. Then they engaged in precisely that behaviour at a level we've never seen before in the history of our country and take a good hard look at the mess that they've created. On top of that, they've yet again circumvented democracy and the usual parliamentary process by sneaking in Amendment G4 into C21, this late in the committee stage. 
after two votes in the House of Commons, after deliberation at SECU, after all the witness experts, uh, expert witnesses testified, <clears throat> excuse me, and after hearing from Indigenous leaders, nobody got to speak to this sweeping hunting gun ban amendment. This is a mockery of our legislative system and does nothing for public safety. Canada is a far more dangerous place to live, and we are more divided than ever. The Liberals and their enablers, the NDP and, of course, the Bloc, can credit themselves for this massive failure at keeping Canadians safe. And I will mention, not only making Canadians far less safe than ever in a modern Canada and wasting billions in tax resources, this coalition feels it virtuous to lay this disaster at the feet of licensed gun owners who, have, who are productive, law-abiding contributors to Canadian society since long before Confederation. So I would ask, what exactly have we done to deserve this? And how is this going to make Canada better? I'd ask all Canadians to dedicate a few minutes today to think about this. Now, I'm pretty sure Justin Trudeau did not consult with the experts like the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights before he decided to arbitrarily ban almost every single hunting gun in this entire country, with the exception of basically a handful of duck shotguns. I know Trudeau did not talk to the National Firearms Association either. I know he didn't talk to the Canadian Shooting Sports Association either. And I know based on the press release put out by the Fur Institute of Canada that Justin Trudeau didn't talk to them either before he outlawed the tools of their trade. Indigenous groups are fuming mad and... Now the NDP are mad because the Indigenous groups that they represent are mad. It's a mess. So who exactly did Justin Trudeau consult with before he snuck in a last-minute amendment to turn an already terrible law, which scapegoats the law-abiding while making it easier to be a bad guy, into some Frankenstein monster of a law that tramples on property rights and throws Canadian heritage right into the garbage? Somebody joked on Twitter once, and I wish I could remember who it was because I would love to give them credit. But imagine if a space alien who had never met a human being or had never seen a car was suddenly writing the rules of the road. That's how it feels to be a firearms owner in Canada. It's like people who have never used a firearm or who have never jumped through all the hoops to own a firearm or ever even examined the existing firearms laws, or even had a basic passing familiarity with ballistics, were writing the firearms laws, or at least they're the people being consulted on the laws. I was curious, and I think you are too, what sort of feminist and feminist ally groups have these people been talking to? Because they have not been talking to gun owners or the people who use guns to, well, survive or to work. So I filed for access to information to get that data. I do this all through your generous crowdfunded donations at rebelinvestigates.com. We filed with Public Safety Canada asking them for the list of names that they consulted with on Bill C-21. You think it would be easy for them to provide just the list of names they consulted with on their own legislation? You know, they have to have contact information for these people, right? Because they contacted them to talk to them. But just the other day, I got back a letter saying that the government is not going to provide that information to me 
until October of 2023. They took a 10-month extension. Your door might be kicked in by the RCMP before you ever know who inspired the law that allowed for any of it. Now, normally, I try to get information two different ways because sometimes I can catch them up by asking the same question just a little differently, a little more creatively. They won't give me the list of names till October. Fine. So I thought maybe I could compile the list of names myself by asking for all the government's communications about Bill C-21 and the crazy amendment that took a handgun ban, which was already bad, and turned it into a handgun ban plus a hunting ban. I thought I could get the names of the people they were consulting with by compiling them from the text messages and briefing notes and memos and emails. I thought I could get the names from the back and forth, right? However, the government is smartening up. I think they saw right through me because they're not going to give me any of that information until at least August 3rd, 2023. And even this, even the delays don't make sense because they want me to believe they can't give me a simple list until October, but they can give me all the communications with all the people they talked to two months sooner. These people aren't even good at lying. The problem is there's no consequence for any of this nonsense. And even though the NDP pretend to be mad about these sweeping changes that will hurt their constituents in Northern Ontario and in Northern Quebec, the NDP will indeed continue to prop the Liberals up and go along with this legislation because for the NDP, I think they just want to be listened to by the Liberals and they don't really care what their own voters think. Joining me now after the break is one of those very experts that Justin Trudeau didn't bother to talk to, my friend Tracy Wilson from the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. Hang tight. So the federal government is blocking us from knowing who they consulted with on Bill C-21. But we definitely know it wasn't the experts. We know it was activist groups, although they won't identify them. Now, we want to talk to the experts. That's why we're bringing on our friends from the CCFR. Joining me now is Tracy Wilson to discuss the misinformation she's been <laughs> accused of spreading about Justin Trudeau's latest comprehensive gun ban, I think the largest in Canadian history. Over the last seven years, crime and violence has skyrocketed under the Liberal NDP government, all while the Liberals increased gun control, all licensed gun owners, and while they were at it, made life the easiest it's ever been on criminals. The Liberals have rolled out three gun bans in three years, while gang-related homicide has shot up 92%, basically doubled, along with a 32% rise in violent crime, all since the Liberals took office. Those same non-gun-owning Canadians need to ask what in the world is going on. The Liberals spent the first three years of their majority government pontificating about how government has no business classifying firearms and that it should be left to the experts at the RCMP lab. Then they engaged in precisely that behaviour at a level we've never seen before in the history of our country. Justin Trudeau has repeatedly said that he is not banning hunting rifles. You're saying... He's banning hunting rifles. 
I know he's banning my hunting rifles. So who's guilty of spreading misinformation here? Well, the government is obviously guilty of doing that exact thing. In fact, if you go all the way back to the May 2020 gun ban, there was AR-15s included in that, but a whole suite of other guns as well. Um, I know my husband is a veteran. The guns he hunted with were banned way back then. So to be perfectly honest, they've been banning hunting rifles all along. Um, This latest gun ban that was, of course, introduced as an amendment in the 11th hour to a piece of legislation that was supposed to be targeting handguns, um, of course, bans hunting rifles or you wouldn't have uh, First Nations groups, the NDP and everybody else opposing it, including law enforcement. So, yeah, the misinformation and disinformation is coming from the government and they can't even decide what they're doing, how they're going to do it or who are they going to do it to. You know, and let's talk about that because there are so many guns that are moving from unregistered. So the government has no idea where they are or who has them. Right. And they're moving completely to prohib. The SKS is a great example of this. Low estimates have them pegged at 200,000 of them inside the country. I would suggest the numbers probably at least double that. Um, Oh, yeah. And so how do they even go about enforcing this? Do they take the list of PAL and RPAL holders, give it to the RCMP and say, okay, well, start knocking on doors? How do, how do they think that they're going to go about enforcing any of this? Well, the, the man, it's impossible to enforce. The man hours it would take to go door to door is literally impossible. We have a deficit as far as um, law enforcement personnel goes in this country. The military has a deficit. Both uh, law enforcement, military, Canada Post, everybody has told the government, including provinces and uh, one territory, has told the government that they don't have the resources nor the interest in doing this. Um, So you're right. It is completely impossible to enforce. The only thing they could do here, of course, is confiscate the approximately 90,000 AR-15s that were legally acquired here in Canada because, of course, those are registered. And as we know, registration leads to confiscation 100% of the time. Um, it's, It's the only purpose it serves. As far as everything else goes, they have no idea who has what. And if you think about it, we're in a country of over 10 million square kilometers. And we went from a gun ban that maybe had about a quarter of a million rifles to a gun ban that's going to encompass well over a million guns from hundreds of thousands of Canadians over a country as vast as ours. If they were to decide to go to people's houses and do searches, this would literally take well over 100 years to to do. So I've said it right from the beginning, this entire thing is impossible. They may have a few people participate in some sort of, um, they call it a buyback. I call it a a compensated confiscation program. Um, But even that doesn't even exist. We're going on three years of this gun ban. My AR-15s are still sitting here in the room next to me in my gun room, locked up, just like they have been for the last 20 years safely. And um, of course, blood isn't running in the streets. So they have no idea what they're doing, how they're going to do it. And I think at this point, they just throw a bone to the media every now and then to appease the anti-gun lobbies to make it look like they're still focused on this, but they're not. Now, we file for access to information with the federal government. We wanted to know who in their right mind they were talking to before they 
brought in these amendments to Bill C-21. Now, we know or I have a pretty good idea, and I think you do, too, who exactly they were talking to, um, yes. you know, before they decided to ban everything cool, cheap uh, and cheap to shoot in this country. Um, I've got a pretty good idea. I wanted to see it in writing and I wanted to see those communications. I know who they weren't talking to, and that was First Nations groups. I know they weren't talking yeah. to people like the Fur Institute of Canada who have come out and said, you have considered us experts on other legislation surrounding right. what we do. Why didn't you talk to us about this? Your handgun ban puts us in danger. Now your hunting rifle ban outlaws the humane execution of our industry. Were you guys consulted on this at all? Or did you try to shoehorn no. yourself into consultations, which I think you might want to do sometimes? Yeah, well, I, here's the thing is when C-21 was introduced, of course, it was a piece of legislation that focused primarily on banning handguns or at least the uh, sale of handguns. And of course, banned toy guns like uh, Airsoft. And there was a variety of other small uh, measures within the bill that are not overly popular either. And then in the 11th hour, they introduced this amendment. And I got to tell you, even members of the Liberal caucus had no idea this was coming. They were not briefed on it. They don't know about it. They've even started speaking out about it. So, um, yeah, I do believe they the only people they've consulted were probably um, anti-gun lobby groups and maybe pollsters. Um, and even then, this... They they've shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, with this uh, piece because they've gone a step too far and they've proven themselves to be incapable of being trusted to properly classify what's legitimate and adequate for civilian use in, in Canada. And they use vague terminology around it, right? Like that's why they say assault style yeah. um, weapons, because to define it, you would have to point out just how ridiculous it is to call a 410 bird gun an assault style weapon, yeah. because that one of those was on the original list of 1500 banned models of firearms. Also a, a mm -hmm. 22, a Brazilian made 22 yeah. was on that list. And so single shots, old action. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is no definition. Assault style means nothing. And by definition, if something is, you know, blank style, it is not that thing which it is styled after. You know, if I go out and put a, a racing fin on my SUV, it's not, it's not, you know, a Daytona style car. You know, it's just a ridiculous, um, a ridiculous terminology. And if you look at how they've sort of evolved with that, they've gone from um, a saying assault weapons, which of course is is inaccurate because those have been banned in Canada since 1977. Then they went with assault style. Then they have, you know, military grade assault style. And now Marco Mendicino, public safety minister, has started saying AR-15 style. Like it's, <laughs> they don't even know what they're talking about. And I, I think, um, you know, they did get a lot of political mileage out of some of the previous gun bans. And it's been a great wedge to divide and stigmatize Canadians, you know, create a big divide between urban and rural. And, of course, force people um, who probably wouldn't normally support them anyways to um, to, you know, out of the, the arena. Um, but the problem is now that they've gone this far with it, the majority of Canadians do support the legitimate uh, use of firearms for hunting. It's literally part of our Canadian heritage and that's actually protected in parliament. So I, I don't think they're getting the mileage out of this that they thought they would.
And I, I don't want to go on too long, but I just want to no, please do one other thing I was talking to Rod about last night is, you know, people often say like the anti-gun lobby groups, they'll tweet me and say, you know, you, Justin Trudeau's won three elections on gun control. And I'm like, let's think about that for a minute. He in 2019, he introduced C-71. That was the first piece of liberal gun control, modern liberal gun control in this government. In 2019, he was reduced to a weakened minority. Um, we've had an election since then, and he didn't improve his standing. So ever since he, you know, he's done C C-71, he did the May 2020 gun ban, he did the handgun freeze. Um, he's got C-21, you know, the second iteration of it. And of course, now the hunting gun ban. Well, and I don't think that the gun control lobby exists in reality. I think they're in a very deep bubble because mm -hmm. the firearms community is much larger than these people think. We yes. just don't talk about it. Because when we talk about it, the government comes and takes our guns. Like, right? like we're pretty quiet about it. Um, but you know, more people are registered uh, PAL holders, like who hold a PAL, than play organized hockey. Mm -hmm. Shooting sports are the national sports in this country, and as you rightly point out, it is a part intrinsic to our heritage. I point this out all the time. This country would not exist without brave men and guns coming here to harvest animals. And so now Justin Trudeau, in his version of toppling a statue, because you don't like, it doesn't pass the 2023 litmus test of wokeism, he's doing the same thing with firearms. But they are intrinsically part of our culture if you step a little bit outside of downtown Toronto. Yeah, well, and it's funny, there's a video that's, you know, been floating around social media of Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, before he was prime minister on the steps of Parliament Hill, talking to some young people about uh, guns and hunting. And, and he admits fully in that video that it is absolutely part of our heritage, and it is. Here in here is that the first step towards registering your guns is, is just the first step towards taking away guns from everyone. That's never going to happen because here in Canada, we have a culture that has that has grown up with guns and that respects the need to, to go out into the wilderness and shoot things from time to time. I mean, you look at we have an Olympic shooting team. It's it's literally an Olympic sport. He's freezing handguns, which are an Olympic sport, predominantly um, uh, with female athletes, in, at mm -hmm. least in Canada. You know, and it's like, I don't know, at, at the same time, Regardless of how you feel about me having rifles, shotguns, handguns, AR-15s, you know, I've, I've owned them for decades safely and without issue. But regardless how you feel about that, at some point, you have to look at the fact that we've got a 92% increase in gang violence, an overall violence increase across the country of 33%. This, this is bad. It's bad for Canada. It's bad for unity. It's bad for public safety. It's bad for families. And you've got a government floundering around trying to pick and choose guns off a list to ban and criminals are laughing at them. And yeah, there's a cost to their failure to focus on actual crime and violence. And it can be measured in human lives. And it is it is happening. This is why outside of Marco Mendicino, I, I have a lot of ire reserved for Bill Blair because Bill Blair yeah. was the top cop in Toronto who oversaw an explosion of gang violence, by the way. And so yes. he absolutely knows where these guns are coming from, 
how they're ending up in the hands of criminals and who is using them. And in none of those instances are lawful Canadian firearms owners involved in any of it. And yet he doesn't speak up. He's a good and loyal liberal soldier. And he's happy to throw over two million Canadians under the bus instead of address a very real problem that his government is overseeing. And I think it's because he doesn't want to examine the root causes. And I think they start a lot with the federal government's border policies and their um, bail policies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, look at just what's re- happened recently uh, in Haldeman County. You've got a young OPP officer um, who lost his life going to to a call of a truck in trouble in the ditch. Right. So he's going there with the intention of helping um, these people who have got themselves in the ditch. It's a big storm. You know, there's accidents all over the place. And you've got a repeat violent offender out on bail. Uh, you've got the police chiefs, you've got the OPP commissioner on TV saying, this is crazy. We've got to stop these soft on crime liberal policies and and focus on reducing actual crime, violence and gun smuggling. And then to see Marco Mendicino post pictures from the funeral of that officer. I don't know, like we are not the same. I I used to think maybe there wasn't that uh, there wasn't a, a huge difference between, you know, the left and right in Canada, but there is like there is. And unfortunately, I think with the liberal policies, it, that divide just gets wider and wider. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, gun owners want to save for Canada, too. We are the safest demographic in this country. I want to see an end to uh, to violence and to crime and to repeat offenders getting back out into the streets and hurting people. And. You know, the idea that this is the liberal answer to that is, you know, dicking around uh, fighting with gun owners. It's it's crazy, but it is a perfect example of the liberal incompetence. A hundred percent, Tracy. Now, you at the CCFR, you guys are always fighting. Uh, You're not just a lobby group. You are advocates and you are willing to take the fight to the liberals. So tell tell us, do you have something in store to fight back against this? Yeah. So Without we actually giving the bad guys too much information, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, we've got a few projects coming up that are just going to uh, knock their socks off, so to speak. But um, yeah, back in, in May of 2020, when the liberals first started their um, litany of gun bans and their attacks against legal owners, we launched the largest federal court action on behalf of Canadian gun owners in the history of the country. So this coming April, we have an eight day hearing here in Ottawa at the federal court. Um, of course, a, a decision won't be forthcoming at the end of that eight days. It takes a little bit of time. Uh, but so far, the government has basically presented no information, no evidence, Um it's crazy. And they were actually compelled to by Associate Chief Justice Jocelyn Gagne of the federal court. She compelled the government to provide their evidence. And of course, they claimed cabinet privilege. So, you know, this is the reason they need to ban guns from legal gun owners is so such a a top level secret thing that not only can average Canadians not know why this is happening, but the Associate Chief Justice of the federal court, she just simply can't know. So when you've got you know, one side refusing to provide any evidence, anything at all. And then the other side, we've provided thousands of pages of documents. We've provided affidavits, witness cross uh, examination testimony, just everything under the sun. Um, So I, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I used to kind of wonder if it was futile to bother fighting it in court um, at the same time, accepting it is not an option. Um, but it looks it looks promising, to be perfectly honest. And of course, ultimately, the real solution to the problem that Canadian gun owners face is we need a political solution. We need a new government that um, will at least, you know, take their their foot off the head of gun owners and maybe focus on reducing crime, violence and gun smuggling. Uh, Tracy, how do people get involved with the CCFR? Because I'm a gun owner. You're fighting on behalf of my rights, my property rights, my rights yeah. to be assumed that I am not a criminal by virtue of the property I have in the gun cabinet in the room across the way. How do people get involved? Because it is, look, I'm from Rebel News. We love a good lawsuit, especially against the federal oh, government. Yes. And it's not cheap. So how do people get involved and how do they support you? And how do they get one of those beautiful shirts that you're wearing? Yeah, uh, thank you. This is brand new for our <laughs> women's program. Um, so you can find us at firearmrights.ca uh, or ccfr.ca. Um, we're also on all the socials. We've got a crazy good social media channel. And then, of course, if you're looking uh, for content, we're on YouTube. Um, we're all over the place. Uh, you you can find stuff to buy on there. And, of course, you can also support that federal court challenge. We are about just breaking the $2 million investment as far as costs go uh, in fighting the government. And of course, we haven't had our trial yet. So it's incredibly expensive. They've got an unlimited amount of resources because they've got your tax dollars with which to fight us with. So um, yeah, that's coming up. We can use all the support we can get. Um, and of course, we've got projects coming up in case of an election, uh, some public awareness campaigns. So yeah, the best place to find us is firearmrights.ca. Tracy, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today and for being such a strong and articulate advocate for people like me, uh, people who've done nothing wrong except inherit their father's shotgun. Um, it's been a pleasure. I hope to have you back on the show very, very soon. Anytime at all. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you. Stay with us. Your letters to Ezra, unceremoniously read by me, up after the break. Now, if you'd like to help us send a message to the Trudeau Liberals that these attacks on Canada's law-abiding gun community must not stand, but also that they should be rolled back, please head on over and sign our petition at handsoffourguns.ca. Now, this is the portion of the show where we sort of throw things back to you. We care about what you think about the work that we're doing here at Rebel News, and we want to take your temperature on it. So that's why we have this list beside me of places where you can get in contact with us, but also please don't hesitate to leave a comment wherever you might find us on Rumble, on Odyssey, on YouTube. Today's letters are on my show from yesterday, wherein I was also filling in for Ezra, and I spoke about how the NDP continue to prop up the Liberals, and it's my concern that that is going to make the Liberals' censorship laws even more radical. And I think they're going to do exactly what they did do already with the gun control legislation is sneak in amendments at the last minute to make these laws even worse as a thank you to the NDP for keeping them in power because the liberals, I don't really actually think they have an ideology. I think their only ideology is 
attaining power and then hanging on to it ruthlessly at all costs, no matter what it does to Canadians. Now, too much for air, writes, NDP served a purpose when they were a blue-collar party. Going woke under Singh has made them irrelevant. People that dislike them the most are union workers who built the party. I don't even think union workers who built the party are mad at them because I, I don't think union workers actually built the modern NDP party at this point. I think union workers are forced through mandatory union dues to support political ideologies that they disagree with, including the NDP out here in Alberta. And I know I, you send me letters that when I host the show is Alberta centric, but that's where I'm from. And it's my experience that our blue collar union workers out here are conservative. That's just how it is. And our union workers out here by and large support oil and gas development, not just because they are working in oil and gas sometimes, but also if they're in a construction union or another blue collar trades union, their industry rise and, rises and falls on the boom or bust of the oil patch too. And so they are completely disconnected from the modern NDP party as we know it. I think the modern NDP party is uh, made up of career students, baristas, uh, the small champagne socialist contingent, um, Antifa and Antifa adjacent people, and just your blue-haired social justice activists and um, childless cat ladies. Uh, let's keep going. Hidden in plain sight writes, what's in it for him? What's Jogmeet getting paid? If conservatives get in, it will be the same game, block NDP liberals. I don't know what's in it for Jagmeet Singh. I don't even think that party that he's leading is fundraising enough to pay him a salary as a party leader. Because normally party leaders, if they are sitting MPs, and almost always they are, they get their MP salary and then they get a top up from the party for being the leader. I don't think he's getting that party top up uh, because I think the support for the party has basically collapsed because, I mean, the party is being un outflanked on the left by the liberals. Now, as a conservative, if you are a conservative hidden in plain sight, I think you should be cheering for the re, I don't want to say normalization, but you would want the NDP to return to the NDP of 10 years ago, maybe. Because back then they weren't so radical. They were definitely champagne socialists with whom I disagreed on everything. But I didn't think they were crazy people and Antifa radicals, which I do think they are now. And that's because they had a leader who wasn't a madman. Again, somebody with whom I disagreed on everything. His name was Thomas Mulcair. And he was a grown-up a fully functioning adult, and he kept the more radical elements of the NDP party under control. Jagmeet Singh's not doing that anymore. And so there is no real vote split on the left because for a conservative party to win in Canada, you need the progressives to divide themselves into two separate parties. But right now, are the NDP offering Anybody anything different than what the liberals are already offering? The answer is no. So if you want a progressive in power, you're just going to vote for the liberals, as opposed to what used to happen is where people parked their votes with the party that they thought matched their values. And so there was a vote split and 
it was great for Stephen Harper. So again, I say as a conservative, you got to cheer for the f certain factions of the NDP to find their sanity again, or at least get back on their medication. Let's keep going. Boys Hoys gives, uh, Boys Hoys sends us a comment and says, jog meet for prime minister of Siberia. Well, you know what? I don't know about Siberia, but I mean, he could be the prime minister of one of those places that has the system of government that he wants. Um, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela. Those are all places where they have put his ideology to practice and it only works out well for the people at the top. As uh, Andrew Wilkow says over on Sirius XM on the Patriot channel, he says socialism is for the is for the people, but it's never really for the socialists. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I think Ezra's back hosting next week. Thanks to everybody in the studio in Toronto for putting the show together. And as Ezra always says, keep fighting for freedom. Hey, what's up guys? Celine Gallas here with Rebel News. Now, I have a super crazy topic to break down today. This is quite literally something plucked right from the hit 1999 movie, The Matrix baby growth pods. If you ask me, that's mere steps away from keeping humans encapsulated in those sci-fi artificial wombs made to siphon off a human's energy exactly like the machines did from that movie. Though this representation of what is practically a large-scale baby farm, which is alleged to be capable of incubating up to 30,000 lab-grown babies per year, is but a conceptual psychotic dream brought forth by a biotechnologist and science communicator, Hashim Al-Ghali. Hashim graduated from Jacobs University Bremen, where he received his master's in molecular biology. It's his supposed passion for science which motivates him to forward his role in educating the public through his social media and video content. Content, where his personal website does allege that his weekly reach is somewhere around 300 million people. In Hashim's dystopian concept, a futuristic company by the name of Ectolife will be the answer to the world's severe depopulation decline, which I think is pretty ironic considering over the last decade, the so-called science experts and new age know-it-alls have been trying to convince you that God's green earth is in peril. And because of our so-called overpopulation issues, that we are losing all of our resources. But does the data really back up those claims? Ectolife is designed to help countries that are suffering from severe population decline, including Japan, Bulgaria, South Korea, and many others. As you can see here, according to data taken from the World Bank, Japan's fertility rate has been steadily declining for many years now, with healthy fertility rates being mostly consistent in Japan from 1960 to 1975, fertility rates are now at an all-time low. But that isn't to say that the conceptual idea of baby farms is the correct way to approach fertility issues. For instance, Japan, Bulgaria, and South Korea all have very high levels of air pollution, where most of their citizens live also very high-stress work lives. And as the saying goes, folks, you are what you eat. These three countries are also known to have a high consumption level of unhealthy foods that include refined grains, sugary drinks, and unhealthy fats. 
which again, all contribute to fertility issues. Now, these three countries also have relatively high rates of smoking, which is known to reduce fertility in both men and women. So yeah, great. Why don't we just ignore the fact that an active healthy lifestyle paired with a balanced diet is known to boost fertility in both men and women. And just skip right to the Terminator takedown by putting on a VR suit and committing to only feeling the simulation of a baby growing inside of you instead of experiencing and embracing the fact that parenthood is a very natural and now somewhat rebellious thing to do in our corrupt modern age. And get this, in the future you can have all of that all from the comfort of your own home, where you can experience the miracle of motherhood by watching a live stream from your phone that gives you access to a time-lapse of your real but fake baby's development. The conceptual video even goes as far as to infer that Ectolife will, quote, improve your bonding experience with your baby. Ectolife improves your bonding experience with your baby. The next part honestly does make me slightly ill just talking about it. Literally having to say or refer to an umbilical cord as being artificial is enough to honestly make my skin crawl. Each group of pods is connected to two central bioreactors. The first bioreactor contains nutrients and oxygen, which are supplied to your baby through an artificial umbilical cord. For goodness sakes, folks, it's become common for some groups of individuals to reduce women to our monthly cycles by calling us bleeders. Or, and I hate to open this up, that being the can of worms, because it's simply not one. So instead of recognizing that only two genders exist and that women, not men, are the only ones of our two genders that are able to carry life in our wombs, sometimes we are also only reduced to our bodily functions as just being referred to as pregnant people or pregnant persons, instead of just being a woman these days. And if you want your baby to stand out and have a brighter future, our Elite Package offers you the opportunity to genetically engineer the embryo before implanting it into the artificial womb. Thanks to CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool, you can edit any trait of your baby through a wide range of over 300 genes. Great. And now look here, we're playing God. You guys, this is never a good thing. Gene editing? This is when God casts down a plague or creates another great flood. We don't want to go down this road. This is literally like a video game. But instead of building up traits of your main character, they're trying to turn a beautiful natural process of allowing your body to rely on its natural inherent instinct of choosing a mate with a complementary immune system to your own that will produce the strongest offspring and instead turn this into a build a baby workshop. I can tell you one thing folks, that this isn't a reality that I'd wanna live in. Tackling the issue of infertility rates and genetic issues in general can be addressed from multiple angles, none of which involves skipping over one of the most important and impactful experiences humans can have. The more ways that we allow artificial intelligence to automate our lives and the potential lives of our offspring, well, you know what they say, to play with fire is to risk being burned. For Rebel News, this is Celine Gallus.